And welcome to another edition of the Nerdy Agent Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Pedersen, with my brothers and fellow nerds and brothers, the podcast agenda says. So my brothers and fellow nerds and brothers, Josh and AJ. I didn't write that part. I think you wrote and, that part. And I think that might have been my mistake. We are have a uh, special fasting edition yes. and Josh on the iPhone today, which is a little bit different. Doing what we can. Today we are going to talk about... An article about SVB Bank. Do you need to get more clarity on the special fasting edition? That no <laughs> one's going to know what you're talking we're about. Starting, we're starting a what? Is it 36 hours now? 42 hours? I don't know. Until we want to stop. We're starting a fast at 2 p.m. At least 36 hours. Today. Yeah, mine will be like 1.30-ish. Yeah. My lunch is at 12.30. That's what I'm doing, around 1.30 to 2. Mm-hmm. And we'll be fasting. I told Caitlin maybe through the weekend. just depends how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Thursday at lunch, probably. Today we're going to talk about Silicon Valley Bank, an article about them, and kind of a little history lesson on the banking system, as well as the current banking situation. Um, and we will link the article in the description so you guys can take a look at that as well. If you follow the news, the banking system currently is very important to be tracking, and not just as a real estate agent, but as a nerd or an economist, I would say. So, yeah, I think we can kick it off with a little history. Well, we are going to start with the Would You Rather of the Week. My Ooh. bad. Which is a very long Would You Rather of the Week. Would you rather get because a it's tax... Re- it's tax season. Wait, there you go. Tax season, Would You Rather. Would you rather get a tax return at the end of the year knowing that you are overpaid by the... That you overpaid the government all year and could have invested that money during the year instead? Or would you rather have to pay in at the end of the year knowing you had extra money all year but feeling the pain of having to write that check. Personally, I thought it was kind of fun. They sent me some money back. I thought, oh, that seems like free money. And I like that money. You know what's fun is mine's like kind of an in-betweener because this year um, I actually was overpaid and they owe me money, but they haven't paid me yet. So they currently owe me 7% interest on all the money after 30 days of not paying me. It's been like four or five months. But it's not a sign that you're being audited. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, I like getting the check too, which is weird because usually... I try to optimize anything. So it's actually a suboptimal solution because you could be getting that money and investing it even in a basic account at like 4%. Uh, but I I don't like the uncertainty of not knowing and having to write a big check at the end of the year sucks. So uh, I just got my big refund too and it was it, it felt really good to have that money now. Now I can go get my sauna. So AJ prefers to have the government investing the money for him at 7%. 7%. It's much better than the 4.5 the money market. I'd actually, actually would really take that right now. If they hadn't sent me my money, I would rather they just invested at 7 for me right now. All right. Let's get into the article. Um, to start, I think AJ has a history. But is that is that 7% in 30-year <laughs> treasury bonds that you can't access and aren't liquid? That's a very relevant topic here. Well, is um, that relevant? It, yeah, it's very relevant. It's not, I don't think. It's, it's maybe just, why... They'll have to print it, it if they don't have it, so... He will get it in 30 years, but it's going to be at 7%. In $1 bills. Um, All right, let's get into the article. So to start, AJ wants to give kind of a brief, I think, history lesson about the banking industry and then just some overarching themes and key takeaways. Well, I think, um, you know, financial markets and stock markets and economy, real estate gets lumped in here too. They all are so interconnected. And so I've told our team, I've told a lot of people I talk to that whether you're able to tie this back to real estate today or whether you're just able to understand how banking really works and why it got to where it got to, I think is just an important fun fact for you to know um, if you're going to study markets like this. And if you listen to our podcast, I would imagine that that's something that you're interested in. So um, we'll start with 1907 uh, because that's where this article started. Um, But you saw that there were rising interest rates in 1907. Uh, Stock market was getting absolutely hammered. 
there were people trying to do uh, schemes and stuff to kind of take over. Um, one, the Knickerbocker Trust uh, completely failed after trying to take over the copper market mm-hmm. um, amidst you know a financial crisis, right, in a in a recession. And there's a guy named J.P. Morgan. For those of you that uh, bank with Chase, that would be the name of the bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. Yes, that was a real person at one time. He was very wealthy, and anybody that um, does like in a you know does the the name their name that way like first initial middle initial they're all very trustworthy. <laughs> AJ, yeah, Adam, Jesse, JP, yes. Um, so I would be a JP actually. You would. Yeah, there you there go. we go. That'd be JP Pedersen, or is it just stop it? So, but, <laughs> but you guys get this. So um, the banking system was in trouble because people were running on banks. And I will probably touch on this a few times in the article, but if you don't know, the bank doesn't have all of your money. So they typically hold about 10% of your money. Um, so if everybody goes and tries to get their money out, there's only 10% in there. It's real bad. And, and yeah, so then the banks collapse. And we'll get to kind of how that applies today. But what JP Morgan did, because he was very smart, he, he played it off like he was just being a good guy. Um, he pledged $8 million uh, to the Trust Company of America, which... which uh, was the next domino after Knickerbocker. Um, but then he convinced a bunch of other banks and the U.S. Treasury to put $70 million into other vulnerable banks. So banks that were um, getting beat up by this this rising interest rate environment, the way that they're you know investing their stuff in these long loans, and then the rates rise, and then their bonds are worth nothing, kind of like we're seeing today. Um, so he put $8 million of his own dollars, which for those with a calculator, uh, $255 million of his own money in today's dollars. So really wild amount of money and then he got like 10 times more of that from other banks to backstop the whole thing so like 2.5 billion dollars got pumped into the banking system to kind of save the whole thing and what happened was there was the panic of 1907 that was leading up to this and it kind of all just subsided because he came up with this cool idea and he realized which i think all of us do now is that the banking system operates 100 percent on trust yep Right. So if people don't trust it and they want to stick their money under their mattress, all the banks will be out of money because it's all already been invested in other stuff Mm -hmm. because the banks are businesses and that's how they make money. And the U.S. dollar would no longer be a thing. Yeah, that could be a very real problem. If they were underneath, if if it was just at our house, it would no longer really matter very much. (laughs) Right. Well, and so what ended up happening is after this, in the in the aftermath of it, um, is when the central bank became a thing. I think it was 1913. Do I have that right? Around that time. Yep. So, yeah, so 1913, Congress passed the Federal Reserve Act. It created the Central Bank. Um, so Jerome Powell gets up and talk. Like, that's when that started. It was 110 years ago. Um, the FDIC, which is very commonly talked about now, which, which will insure all deposits up to $250,000 in any account, that came along in 1933. So crazy how this kind of, like, arrived at where it did, but it all started with the initial an initial panic on banking back in 1907. So what's that? 116 years ago when we had this problem. And it's evolved over time to what it is today. But um, for those that know Ronald Reagan and the libertarian kind of movement politically, they said, the government shouldn't be supporting our people. We should support ourselves. Like, pick us up by our bootstraps and mm-hmm. everyone's an individual and da-da-da-da. And that now has kind of, it's it's been a thing. Permeated. and it's, it's permeated and it's mm-hmm. morphed into today where people say, I only trust myself. I don't trust the bank. I don't trust anybody else with my money or with anything. I just want to do this all on my own. And that erosion has kind of led to today, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know if you want to talk about like what happened with SVB or whatever, but... We talked a lot about it last week. So we did talk about how SVB happened last week. So if you hadn't seen that podcast, 
go back to the one we had Brian on with us last week, one of our local lenders who's really, really sharp. Um, and we went over the SVB thing and kind of the way in which that unfolded. But essentially what happened there, and what the article talks about is how do you take that whole mindset that AJ just talked about? We should have done a song, by the way, like AJ's Nerdy Agent podcast, uh, History Lesson of the Week or something like that. Um, but how that trust erosion creates the possibility where the banks become vulnerable. So I talked about two big things. So one is to AJ's point about the individualistic concept, right? Everyone's really focusing on themselves. The second big key component is um, just the reality of the news these days versus in the past. So the spread of the news, how quickly people learn about things and how much fear that that can create. So most people heard about SVB, may have freaked out a little bit. I don't I probably know people that were taking money out even when they only had $350,000 in a bank account because they were over that limit. They were freaked out about their bank being shut down. But the more panic and fear you create, the more it becomes a big challenge and a problem. And so part of this article was talking about how they do feel like what JP Morgan did in 1907 was really saying, it's our job as people within this financial industry to try to mitigate panic and try to support the system that we are all basically living upon. Because if we don't, you're going to create more problems than you are creating solutions. We all want to work together. Um, whereas the argument was made here that there were some people within the Valley, specifically some VCs who kind of caused this. And there's some other big VCs who could have stepped in and stopped this, but they didn't. And they basically... As much as they talk about how it's all individualistic, you're all out for yourself, they do things that then cause the government to have to get involved to save the system. And he basically talks about how it's really easy to, you know, criticize the government or say they don't need to be involved until all of a sudden we realize we really need them and or else the whole system's gonna fall apart that we're we're living upon. So um it was really interesting in that regard because yeah, these VCs that so you said for your own best interest, you gotta get your money out of here, cause a widespread run on a bank that you know, inherently caused other banking dominoes to start falling until the government got involved and could have caused them even more to fall if Yellen and the government hadn't, you know, been more active in saying we're going to backstop all of this. Well, and I like, I like in the article how he says regarding SVB, it wasn't rising interest rates, poor risk management, the concentration of the depositor base or social media. Yep. It was all of it. Yep. So, and that's what's scary nowadays, I think, with a lot of this stuff is think about how how long information took in 1907 say they had time to figure that situation out they all sat down and thought it through there's right. not nearly as much time today no because it you know someone posts one thing on tiktok or social media and it goes viral and people are going oh no you know u.s banks going out of business and then everyone panics and freaks out and this individualistic kind of how our, our culture has moved ends up potentially being a big risk yep. in the banking system because of the way that you know how fast information moves but also how each person thinks about the whole system. Yeah, he calls the article is called the venture catastrophists, and so a lot of it was talking about how the, my favorite line was the the essentially these people that caused the run on the bank, then got loud on social media saying that the government needed to get involved. Right. So we have this catastrophe now. It's like, well, you guys caused it in the first place. And so the the quote is the fear mongers' stated intention was to drum up support for a federal bailout of SVP depositors, many of whom were the catastrophists themselves. And he says, there are no libertarians in the foxholes. So more or less alluding to like, you know, when you're in an important situation, you're at war, all of a sudden you're not for yourself anymore. You're with everyone that's with you, right? So you want others with you, helping you through the situation. You're no longer a, you know, a libertarian or an individual. You're, you're part of a group when things are bad. Yeah, you want the trust and the help and the support of the people that can make it better. But when it's good, you, you want to be on your own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, this the funny thing is that, that he the the author of the article talked about how he's 
a founder, a director, an investor. He's he works with a lot of startups um, and a lot of companies that had money at SVB. And he said we didn't pull out a single dollar because he went on the FDIC's website and found that 73 banks have failed in the last 10 years, which I had no idea about. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And Isn't that all crazy? Their deposits had been backstopped. No one lost a dollar. He said, he said I didn't lose a minute of sleep. <laughs> Nothing line. is ever as good or as bad as it seems. That was my favorite line of the whole thing. Yep. In life in general, too. So true. Nothing is as good, ever as good as bad or bad as and it And that seems. applies. We talked about this in real estate, right? Like even like the market. When things are bad, everyone freaks out and doesn't want to go shopping. And I'm like, get out there because it's not as bad as it seems. And when the market's really, really hot and everyone says, I have to be out there. It's like, it's not really as good as it seems. So try to find your way out also, of the extremes also most of the people that you're hearing are either the person who's saying it's as bad as it's ever been or as good as it's ever been why are there never like it's why is the majority now. of the people never Here's in what's the middle, actually right? going on exactly i i think and like i guess if we're gonna i don't know what other questions you so have to I segue wanna, this but are you i i wanted to wait until you guys broke down the article sufficiently and felt good about that yeah feeling great i want to tie it back to real estate a little bit because we yep. did kind of the history in the baking industry i do think you should still read this article if you haven't yet um, but I want to talk about specifically the, the big real estate conversation that's being had now is there's a lot of these banks, right? It's not just SVP, SVB, right? There are other banks that are struggling with this. And so the Fed, they're saying the other people outside of the Fed are saying, hey, the Fed might change what they were maybe planning on doing with overnight rate yep. hikes. And that does directly affect us in real estate. So even I think it was last week, they raised it a quarter of a point that was maybe going to be a half a point but then fell back to a quarter. And there was maybe going to be a bunch happened. more. And now they're saying maybe one more, so, maybe none. So more. I want to talk about that. So let, tell us what does that landscape look like because of that? Cause that's a direct, um, that affects us directly in real estate. I, well, and I think, a um, a really important, I guess, uh, thing to tie in here is we talked about these different crises that have happened. Crises, crises. What is it? Crises. 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 <laughs> have happened in the past, right? Um, the majority of the time when this kind of crap starts happening, it starts to signal that you you finally have arrived at the point where everything's broken a little bit, right? You're at that point where you're saying, are we in a recession? Is a recession coming? Um, and that's where people, again, in our conversations with individuals throughout the day, real estate related, say, our housing price is going to go down, da 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 they, they start to try to connect dots based on history of what's going on. Um, in reality, we know no two recessions are the same. So mm -hmm. this is going to be different than the last one, which was different than the one before that. So, and we don't know what's going to happen. Right. But to Luke's point, you start digging into what does that signal then? Right. Like if we're in a recession, I think every single recession, the federal reserve has cut rates. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if I'm wrong on that. They're, already, they're basically saying they're going to start cutting it back once they get to their peak. Yep. And they said their peak is going to be probably between five and 5.1 and it's at 4.83 right now. So they're signaling there's going to be another quarter point, which is kind of what everyone kind of said. But then they're saying the rate for what was the rate I sent you? The, it was like some of the ranges were in back to the threes quickly, uh, yeah. pretty quickly. Now, the, the funny thing about that is like, it's like, oh gosh, it looks like it's coming back down. The range of possible outcomes is so ridiculous. It's like wide. The, the dot plot or whatever. It was like it can do. go from three to five point five somewhere in there. So there's a lot of uncertainty still. But well, and this is and I think to Luke's point, this is where it ties into real estate, which is right now. And I've probably talked about this on the podcast before, but I say it all the time. Um, the spread on the twenty on the ten year Treasury yield yep. and the current prevailing uh, average mortgage thirty year fixed rate across the country is like three percent. So the ten year Treasury yield has been bouncing between like 3.35 like three right to 3.55 yep. in recent memory. The mortgage rate is about 6.5. In 2019, I believe the range of that spread was 1.3 to 1.6. Yep. 
This is when the Fed had a completely different narrative. They they were holding rates steady. There's a lot more certainty. A lot more certainty, right? And so I think you're seeing like we're maybe reaching, I think one of you said, like the apex of all the activity of, mm-hmm. of the raising of the rates of the economy of all the nonsense. Post-COVID and, impact of everything. Exactly, right? Yeah. And when you see them start to cut the rates, you might see a quick like unraveling of the hedging that the MBS mortgage-backed security market has been doing to really prop these rates up way above the 10-year yield right now. Yep. And for anyone who doesn't follow bond markets, we talked about it really quickly, and I know everyone tells us we talk too fast. Um, it's very simplistic, right? If you're an investor in the bond market, you believe is reaching its apex point in terms of where these are going to go, you're going to put your money into these bonds because the value of your bond goes up if you were to just sell it versus waiting that rate out if someone else was to buy it. Because if you can get a rate of three and a half and the rate goes to three, you're not only making money on the three and a half percent coupon you get from that. But if you were to sell that to somebody else, they would rather buy it because they get the three and a half percent. So you get the value of the future value of that, that you sell to somebody else. But when the investors go, I want to start buying that because I think it's going to start going down. It starts artificially going down because the correct, but they, when this banking thing happened, people fled to these because their belief was the fed was going to get more conservative with their approach, which then drove those rates down, which then will drive your mortgage rates down. So I know that I tried to make that really slow and simple, but I think it may have made it complicated still. Very confusing. Okay. <laughs> the point the point is to try and explain where interest rates are going to go. The 30-year interest rate. Yep. So there's the two factors. I want to so I want to say if you're you're talking to a first-time home buyer and you're trying to explain to them how this banking crisis situation yep. is going to affect the interest rates in the next 12 months. The Fed the Fed has using, been using using the 10-year. Yep. And the overnight in the explanation. The Fed has been raising the overnight rate to try to cool inflation in our economy. In doing that, that played a large role in the SVB banking collapse, which you've probably heard about in the news, but don't exactly understand why. We don't need to go into exactly why it happened, but know that the raising of rates is part of the reason why, or a major reason why. Overnight rate. Is a major reason why that bank failed. And so as the Fed is looking at should we continue to do this in the future? They're evaluating the impact that could have on other parts of the economy, specifically in the banking sector. And their fear is we don't want to cause more of these because more of these creates more panic, which creates a perpetual cycle of more risk. It creates a worse recession. And as much as they want to keep the rates high because they do want to cool the housing appreciation, they are far more concerned about banks going belly up because if that happens at a large scale, the whole thing could collapse essentially. Correct. That's when it gets bad. Yeah, I mean, or they'll have to step in Not with a really exactly. big something, That's right? worse. It's the, a worse The outcome. printer would have to get much bigger. It's much yeah. more, it's much more problematic inflation. than inflation being ahead of the target yep. goals yep. In, the, in the short term. Exactly. And, and, and to this point, I, I posted on Facebook yesterday about where people think mortgage rates are going based on all this information. Um, and Fannie and the Mortgage Bankers Association very significantly on quarter two of this year. And then they start, once that happens, and they kind of trend the same direction. But basically, the Mortgage Bankers Association thinks the average rate in Q2 of this year is going to be 6.1%. Fannie thinks 6.6. They both think by 2024 that they're under 6. Fannie has the, sorry, the MBA has it lower. I I had that wrong. So the Mortgage Bankers Association has the rates at 4.6 by Q4 of next year. That feels uh, like something that, that the mortgage bankers want. They, so they would they really benefit from there. that, wouldn't they? Well, Maybe yeah. an overreaction. I do think, though, so that wait, what we've so learned is we've we been on keep, extremes. We're not done on that thought, though. Okay. So you said the Fed now is saying the banks might 
struggle if we keep raising the overnight rate. Yeah, so, so we then, shouldn't do that as much anymore. We should be less aggressive with it. And they kind of said that on their last call, and they they're did. saying we're going to say our ceiling is close. We're closer to our ceiling. They might have 125 basis point increase, and then they think they're at their ceiling. Now, if the, if the CPI news comes out and we're at 12% inflation for some reason, which we probably won't be, that could change their behavior, but when, but you're, when you're explaining it to a first-time homebuyer, oh, I'm back at a first-time homebuyer. Well, we hadn't finished that thought. Oh, sure. So then so the Fed the is likely Fed to wants not to be less aggressive. Yep, and that will result in uh, more stable thirty-year mortgage rates. That, in theory, will start coming down as the Fed continues to unwind some of the stuff they've done to create the limited impact to inflation. And then the piece that we aren't 100% certain on outside of the Fed being less aggressive, because Fed's less aggressive, they don't raise the overnight as much, it indirectly ends up the 30 years come down a little bit. That spread between the 10-year and the 30-year should shrink Should shrink if they start lowering the overnight yeah, rate. Because historically, that's should. what's happened. When yeah, that's well, happened. and it depends what the Fed does with their books, too. Like, if they're taking on all these bank problems and increasing their balance sheet, right, that, not, also, yeah. that also signals a lot of that, too, right? So it, it, does, it can mess with it. So there's iterations, right? But to Luke's point, it should, but the investors are currently hedging and making it so it's not oh. happening right yeah. now. I think what we've learned though in the last like two, three years is we had crazy low interest rates that were abnormal during a very abnormal period of history and the world and everything. And coming out of that, we've seen it almost, you know, we're not completely out of it because there's always these like down the road impacts of COVID. I mean, there still are like we're all experiencing oh, a lot, of, you know, to get outside of this. But um, we've seen a drastic swing back the other direction that swung too far, I think, pendulum wise. And I personally think rates will stabilize. They'll start coming down. I don't think they'll move down as fast as the NBA thinks they're going to move down. But they're going to, I think we're going to finally get to a point where like in two years, we're like, hey, rates are normal at a normal rate and normal rates are like five to five and a half. Yeah. And that's just like where Fanny, the world lives. Fanny's got 5.6 by Q4 2024. Yeah. Are, are if, if Fanny has what? 5.6. But like the belief that if, that's going to somehow estimate. go down to four and then four, three. And then if it gets to four and a half in 2024. By 2027, are the house prices in Minnesota going to seen. double? I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, we like I would still love to dig in on how we're going to figure out how to get out I of this inventory do, problem. I want to do inventory Twin Cities inventory crisis podcast next week. Is what I want to do. Just Twin. We well, could do the whole country. Sure, too. we could do the whole country. But we know here, so and it's inventory a lot. It's, it's 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 the worst. It's worse here it, than it's it is. In, I would seemingly say we're the ones yes, on that right side now. of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you guys don't have anything else... Can I say one thing? Yeah, what do you got? So I think the other thing about the article that I like is about leadership beyond just this podcast and about banking and everything, right? So his last line is, it comes down to this, what type of leader, business person, and quite frankly, human do you want to be? When stuff gets real, do you want to be the steady hand who stays calm and works with others with purpose and skill and in figuring out a solution? Or are you in the foxhole screaming, only giving away your position away to make things worse? Right? Like... We talk about being individuals, focusing ourselves, driving, but at the end of the day, we have to be able to work together. And that's more of a humanity thing, but also within our industry, like you have to be able to work with other people to help get stuff done. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. And you have to be the steady hand because people get emotional in real estate quickly. You have to be the one who doesn't get emotional and just steady and, through. And this is the stuff in the times when it's like a crisis, let's just say, where good agents, good team leaders, good people in positions where they're helping people are going to be able to take a bunch of market share. Yep. That's all we have this week on the Nerdy Agent Podcast. And remember, be better.